Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. Father, we thank you that we can be together in this place and be in a relationship with you. We thank you for your grace, which is profound, extraordinary, overwhelming. That whatever our circumstance, Father, your grace is bigger than our circumstance. Whatever our sin, your grace is bigger than our sin. So we give you thanks today for all that you've done, for all that you're doing and for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Thanks, guys. Well, good morning. It's good to be home Uh, last Sunday or over Easter. I was in Baltimore in the USA at a uh, conference for the Apostolic Church of Ghana in the USA. There's about 3,000 people there. And um, I'm just getting a a bit of feedback. I don't know if you can hear that, but... And so uh, it, was, it was an extraordinary experience, 3,000 people there, but it was uh, very much an African experience because what would happen is the people from Ghana would move to the US and they wanted their own church in the US. And so they got their own church and so they would turn up and it would be an African experience. I think the longest meeting was five hours and... Um, yeah, so it was a long time, especially given that they didn't do everything in English either. So it was um, an interesting experience, but it's good to be back home. Uh, Ruth's holding my glasses up. I don't know why. Do you, do you think? No, it's, it's all good. I, there is lines of writing here. I should be okay. <laughs> so we're beginning a new series. It's called simply God Is. And um, the goal of the series is, is in is twofold and hopefully you'll get more than two things out of it but you know when we talk about Christian apologetics Christian apologetics is an argument for faith it's a it's a way of reasoning the tricky thing for me with this is Christian apologetics while the discipline is important it doesn't usually succeed in winning anyone to Christ because it's an intellectual argument And when you enter into an intellectual argument, it doesn't persuade the soul. It doesn't move emotion. And what we're talking about is is not a mechanical relationship, but an emotional relationship. You see, my relationship with Ruth is dependent upon more than the facts. My actions may show that I love her, but unless she feels loved, then we're in trouble or I'm in trouble. Is it the same in your relationship? dead silence. This sounds like a personal confession now. But that's the, that's the reality. You can argue that your actions prove your love, but unless there is an emotional connection, unless there is a, a felt relationship, then what happens is things break down. It's true of husbands and wives and parents and children. And and, and you know, the truth is, it's the same with God. You may know the facts, but the facts in and of themselves are not enough. But that, that doesn't excuse us from doing the work necessary to explain, because for some, it's really, really important. As a matter of fact, the facts can be used to convince us of relationship. 
In other words, if Ruth says to me, I don't feel like you love me, what I do is I go through the facts. But I do this, I, you know, I get your coffee every morning, I do all the dishes, I clean the house, and n- not all of, oh, sorry, facts, wasn't it? <laughs> Better start again. <laughs> but, but, you know, what I would try and do is attempt to explain or prove my love through my actions. But the reality is the problem is caused because of a lack of relationship. So our goal here today uh, and over the next few weeks is to talk about some things that we might not normally talk about. And some of them will be unmoving for you. But the reality is this, whether you're speaking to someone who isn't a Christian and you need to give them some facts in the process of leading them towards Christ, or whether you're in a crisis of faith yourself, because let's face it, it happens for everybody. It happens off more often than we give ourselves credit for. When we're in the process of going through a crisis of faith, for whatever reason, the facts do make a difference. Do, do, do you know when you feel like God doesn't love you and you read your Bible and you read that he does love you, then it makes a difference. It's convincing you of something. You know, when we... Um, Talk about, you know, my question today is simply this, can we prove that God exists? And in, in many ways, the answer is no. When you talk about proof, you talk about evidence in a court, there's what's called real evidence, there's testimony, uh, testimony from eyewitnesses, there's, there's uh, uh, demonstrative evidence, there's a whole range of different sorts of evidences. But the reality is, We can't ask God to turn up here today and for you to come forward and get a chance to touch him. Well, if that's happened to you, great, but, you know, it's a rare, rare occasion. And and, and that's why, you know, our relationship with God is built on faith. But what I do want to do today is I want to go through some processes with you that will add to some of the facts that you may have in reserve so that when you get to a point of crisis or difficulty in your relationship with God, you can fall back on some of the facts that are even outside of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying we build faith outside of the Bible, but as we go through this process, what I'm hoping to do is convince you of something that you already know, but to add something to the bank of confidence that you have. Why? Because we go through difficult times. We go through challenging times. And and, and as we go through those times, uh, we look for answers. Often the answers are not what we want. What we're looking for is a reconnection or relationship. But let me go through some things this morning. You know, um, usually the first place we go is the Bible. And, and, And that's fine if you believe what the Bible says. But what if you don't? What if you've got doubts? I'm going to read some facts to you. Uh, or, or make some points. And the first is from human history. You know, the pursuit of spirituality is something that all of creation has done, meaning mankind, since it's existed. Even today, do you know 80% of people are involved in some sort of spiritual pursuit? 80% of the world's population. And when you think about that, that's astounding. What is it? Why is it that we are predisposed to pursuing some sort of spiritual connection? It's because of something that God has done in us, in creation, but we need to understand it. You know, psychologists say 
that we need God. Whether you believe in God or not, that you are going to be healthier if you believe in God. A God of, then they don't define what God is, but the concept of God is valuable for your spiritual well-being, for your emotional well-being, for your physical well-being. There was a guy, Victor Frankl, lived through the Second World War. Uh, some of you may have read his book. I think it's, I can't remember the, what it's called. Does anyone remember? Search for Meaning. Um, it's called The Search for Meaning. And, you know, some of, out of some of his writings, he was a Jewish guy, and he talked about how he survived the concentration camps that he lived in. And it was because he believed in something beyond. It, 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 it was something outside of himself. Psychotherapy is a division of psychology that has at its core the need for you to find purpose. Now, it's not Christian. It's, it's a way of orientating someone so that they are focused on something outside of themselves and, and they believe that somehow, some way, you were built for a purpose. It sounds Christian. And the reason is that is you need to hope beyond your current circumstance. You need to hope beyond who you are as an individual. You need to hope beyond your current challenges. And so it's like, so we've got human history and we've got 80% of mankind is pursuing some sort of spiritual connection or relationship. Psychology is adding something to the thing. Idolatry is proof of the need for mankind to follow something outside of themselves. Now, I know we're against idolatry. The reality is we're going to work out where we sit with that because while we may not look like some, some old civilizations who had small idols and bowed down to them, the way we live can be idolatrous. And, and, and the, my point today is not to talk about idolatry, but simply the fact that each of us looks to pursue something that becomes important to us is again another indicator of the way that we are made up and our desire to reach out for something that has answers behind ourselves. Of course, the narcissist creates an idol out of themselves. But for the rest of us, we create an idol out of something, somewhere, somehow. Sometimes that idol can be a lifestyle. Sometimes it can be finance. Sometimes it can be a car probably less so for women. Sometimes uh, for, for what, what do women set up as idols? I'm not very good at this. What's that? Are you, women don't have idols. They, yeah. Ah, oh. <laughs> anyway, we better move on because I'm getting dangerous. To... But the reality is idolatry is again proof of something inside of us that is pursuing something outside of us. Um, when we go to martyrdom, Martyrdom is again proof. Now, we know there are Christian martyrs, but there are martyrs uh, outside of Christendom as well. There are people who will allow themselves to be sacrificed for the sake of some deity beyond themselves. And you sort of think, why is it that humans do this? There is some innate uh, sense that there is something beyond themselves. And, and this, is, uh, this is consistently true. Ancestor worship, you know, in Indonesia, one of the big things there, amongst many other things, is ancestor worship. And so that's where you bow down to your mum and your dad and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and everybody else, as if somehow they have power over you even beyond the grave. There's something inside of us that pursues something. You know, undiscovered tribes usually have some form of deity that they worship as well. 
We've just done a series around surrender and sacrifice. Why is it that people allow themselves, and not so much now or less so now, but people would allow their children to be sacrificed to some unknown God? Well, why would you do that? There's, and and we, just, we just think they were simple. No, no, there's something inside of us that believes that there is a power beyond us and whatever is necessary to give up to get favour of that thing, whatever it was, was what they would do. Now, we know that they were confused and, and, and misunderstood, misunderstood the, uh, God and who he is. But the reality is it's further proof that there is an innate sense that there is a God out there somehow, somewhere. You know, ancient history is littered with stories of how both uh, people um, gave themselves or sacrificed others for the sake of the God that they served. You know, our idea of God is... is, um, is unique. People used to, it, it, it was called hedonism. What they would basically do is they would believe in a local God. And so, you know, a, a, a tribe in one particular area might believe in one particular God and they would serve that God. You go to another village some four or five kilometers away and they'd have another God that they'd created. And, 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 and you know, mankind throughout history has had this desire to connect with a spiritual reality beyond themselves. Let's move on to creation. We've all seen the videos, you know, that Lou Giglio, amongst others, have done with regard to the universe and how large it is and how profound it is. Some of you still watch David Attenborough videos, you know, where you see what creation is like. And it's extraordinary. When we consider, do you know, if, if we were able to seal this room and then suck the oxygen out of it, do you know every one of us would be dead within five minutes? Unless you can hold your breath longer than that. That's how fragile your life is. Now, we're not suggesting no one close the doors, please. (laughs) It's not Jonestown, for those of you who remember that. But that's how fragile your life is. Five minutes without oxygen and you're on your way to an eternity out there somewhere, depending on what you believe. The earth, you know, spins on an axis. And as we understand it, if it moves a a minute amount, if if it's no longer on the same axis, then there isn't any possibility for civilization at all. You think about that, it's extraordinary. You can take a leaf and put it under a microscope and some of the most powerful microscopes can show how such a, a simple thing like a leaf is extraordinary in its detail, or a snowflake, and we've all heard the same thing. Each snowflake is unique. Creation is profound, and now, please understand me, I'm, some, some people were strong on evolution. Well, that's fine. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I do believe in the adaptability of creation, but I don't believe that we somehow evolved from an ape. Somehow, some way, creation is way too complex for that. And you've all heard the argument, you know, a a bedroom, a kid's teenager's bedroom doesn't evolve into something clean and pure. It actually devolves into something less than that. You you know, creation is prone to, um, to deteriorate, not improve. And yet somehow 
with evolution, we think that we go from where we are to something better. Creation is extraordinary. As a matter of fact, in Romans, it says this. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature of being clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. What it's really saying is, there is an innate sense that we have that creation is profound. And that somehow it points to, cre- to a creator. None of us look at something and think, wow, did that just come about by itself? Creation is way too complex for us to go for that as an answer. There's usually a master designer. You know, we, we look at the things that are created. You look at a building, there's an architect or a builder behind it. You, you look at a, like a camera, someone created that. But what's really interesting is this. Mankind only creates from what's already been created. We don't have the, the, the ability or the power or the skill or the nous to create something out of nothing, yet that's what God has done with creation. And so when we look at creation around about, of us, uh, around about us, it's got some convincing elements to it to it if we are willing to open our mind to it and to be awed by what it's really like. You know, when it comes to testimony, the world is full of stories of testimony and even, sorry Ruth, can you pass that? And even more specifically, of encounters with God. Now we we understand Christian testimony, But the reality is, it's not just Christian testimony that exists. How many times have, have you seen people talk about near-death experiences, how they died? They might not be Christian. They've died and had some profound experience. Uh, the, you, you know, the TV has show after show after show after, uh, uh, about spiritual entities that do this and do that and ghosts in here and ghosts there and all sorts of things. The world is full of testimonies about spiritual encounters that go beyond what is, uh, what is normal for us. Now, I'm not endorsing all of those. All I'm saying is this further proof that there is this innate desire for us to connect with something beyond ourselves. When you think of the testimonies over the years of Christians and their experience that does something for you. And a testimony has the power to bring about transformation. It's a story told that makes a difference on the hearers of, uh, of that particular story. And so when we consider throughout, uh, uh, throughout the ages the number of testimonies there are that speak to a relationship with God as we know him, the evidence is overwhelming. Forget about the Bible for a moment, just hear the stories of somebody. How many of you buy things based on stories? Let me tell you, every one of you. Right, because advertising is a story. It's a testimony. 
And what it does is it tries to convince you to purchase what's been sold. And the reality is when we talk about a testimony in a Christian sense, it's a story. And the point of the story is to convince you of the truth of what the person has experienced. And it leads to a place of conviction where you buy into the story that's been told. This morning, you know, the guys that stood up the front here and talked about uh, House of Hope or Hope Village in Indonesia, they were giving a testimony or they were telling you their experience about what had happened on their journey. Now, The reality is not one story was the same. They all come from different perspectives. But the truth is this, testimony has a convincing element to it. Do you know, it's testimony that sustains our relationship with God. Now, some of you won't like this part. But it's testimony that sustains our relationship with God. Now, we'd like to think that we're all objective. The truth is we're not. Our objectivity should underscore our relationship with God, but it's our testimony that sustains us. Our testimony of stories from the past where we've had encounters with God. Our testimony of the time that God provided in our time of need. Our testimony of healing at some point, somewhere, somehow. And so even today, you know, without the Bible itself, the power of testimony has the ability to bring about transformation. Why do people get tricked into cults? Why do they believe extraordinary things? It's because of the power of the testimony of the people who are adherents to the cult. Even when we hear some of the things, I mean, how could you believe that? It's not... It's not that they're sold on what's being, uh, what's believed, they're sold on the testimony of the person who's an adherent. And so I want you to understand today, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's history or psychology or creation or testimony, all of these things add up to there is a God outside of you. In some form or another, there is a God that exists outside of your, your particular um, experience. And if there is a God outside of your experience, it behoves us to find out the God and who he is. And of course, for us, there is only one source that connected with testimony that brings us to a basis of conviction about that God and who he really is. And with that, we turn simply to the Bible. The Bible, as we know, is written over 1,600 years If you have a problem with the authenticity of the Bible, you also have a problem with Shakespeare and his writings. There is more fact, uh, sorry, there is more manuscripts that attest to the authenticity of the Bible than there is to Shakespeare's writings. So, you know, people read Shakespeare today and they assume that it all comes from him somehow. Well, what's here in the Bible is more reliable with regard to... Um, a train of uh, historical, I'm I'm losing the words, basically the manuscripts that come from the Bible are more reliable with regard to being copied than Shakespeare's writings uh, themselves. And when you think about that's extraordinary. I can't remember exactly, but I think it's 10 times the number of manuscripts exist for the Bible 
beyond any other writing. So, you know, people read from historians like, uh, or, or philosophers like Socrates and all of those people. Those things are way less reliable in their authenticity than what the Bible is. We know that people have given their lives for the Bible. We know that it's, uh, um, it, 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 it's been, if you like, tested, uh, tried and true through so many different circumstances. Archaeology and science are yet to disprove the Bible. There are things that they might not agree with, but that is quite different from being able to disprove it. And so for us, the Bible is the story of God and his relationship with mankind. We understand that, you know, in AD 325, the New Testament in particular was accepted as the inspired word of God. In other words, it was attested and proved that it was true. Now, there are many other books that are connected to Christians and their history, but it's only the New Testament books that we have that at that particular Nicene Council, they were agreed were, if you like, inspired by God. I want to encourage you, you know, the Bible is the basis on which we build our faith. The story of Jesus comes from the Bible. The story of why Jesus did what he did comes from the Bible. The story of how we're to live our life comes from what Jesus taught us, and it comes from the Bible. And the challenge for us as we go through the process of reading the Bible is we don't understand everything. We don't, we're not capable of accurately interpreting every component of what's written here. Why is that? Number one, it's partly because of our knowledge. Partly it's because of the cultural context. We don't understand it. Sometimes it's because even though there are so many different translations of the Bible, they're usually translated from a, a biased perspective. And so the translator themselves translate it the way that they think it should be read when there is no opportunity for a simple objective reading of a a particular text. And so for, for us, as we enter into a relationship with God, it is based on what the Bible says. When we're in times of crisis, though, we're in times of difficulty when things don't go wrong, while we can get some healing balm from what the Bible says, it doesn't always answer our questions. As a matter of fact, if we're honest, most of us have questions that we know will never be answered. Why does God heal one and not another, despite what the Bible says? Why is the world the way that it is? Why doesn't God step in and do something about some of the horrors and tragedies? Our challenge is this, we want all of the answers, usually in a time of crisis. uh, uh, When in a time of crisis, it's not the answer that will make the difference, it's relief from pain that we're really after. I want to encourage you, as you go through life, your relationship with God depends on many more things than sometimes you think that it does. When things are going well, You don't tend to dig deep, but it's times of difficulty that bring strength. It's times of difficulty that bring courage. It's times of difficulty that present an opportunity for a relationship that is going to change and transform you. Can we prove that God is real? I don't think we can as, as you would in a court of law, but what we can do is 
Look at all of the evidence and the, the, the evidence leads us to a place where we can't but deduce that God is real. And if God is real, there is only one source of information that gives us the truth of what we understand God is like and his relationship with mankind is like, and it's from the Bible. The Bible is unique and God is unique. Out of all the world religions, there is only one God who sacrificed himself for mankind. His name is Jesus. So I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you. When you're in the midst of turmoil, when you're in the midst of questioning, when things aren't going well for you, and you cry out for answers to problems that you experience and you are not getting the answer, the, the reality is it's not the answer you want, it's just it's companionship. When you're in the midst of grief, it's companionship that you need, not an answer to the question that you have. And so I, it, it's Jesus first and foremost that is going to make the difference. And it comes down to it, an actual personal relationship with him. And when we say that, it's, in some ways that's elusive. It's, it's, it's one of those things that we say we want, but in reality takes time to develop. If I say, you know, I want a relationship with Josh Scampton... And Josh says, yeah, 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 happy to enter into a relationship with you, no problems. I mean, he's my son-in-law, let's better just work this out properly, you know. <laughs> and, and, and we agree to work on our relationship and build our relationship. If Josh doesn't respond and I don't respond, what happens? Zero. Any benefit that flows from me to him or from him to me doesn't exist. Why? Because it's dependent upon contribution. When we talk about a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's, it's about contribution. I'm not talking about the offering. We're talking about time, heart and soul. And a relationship with Christ demands that you surrender all. Christ has already surrendered all for you. I'm not saying the relationship it, it, it is, is a simple straight line. I wish that it was, but it's not. It's one of those things where you, your relationship with Christ goes up and it goes down. Just as your emotions go up and down, just as the challenges that you face go up and down. So our relationship with God doesn't seem to follow a clear-cut trajectory. I wish that it did. But it doesn't because we're human. And in the process of our humanness, we're building a connection with him based on our experiences. I'm going to ask the musicians to come now. Now, I know today many of you have already made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. The sad thing for me is this. Some of you are ripped off in your relationship with God. You assume that somebody else has got a position of favour with God. That they're more important. That somehow they're better than you. That they have better access or that, that God has somehow treated them in a way unusually different to you. And can I say this is simply not true? If, if, if you assess what people say you, will say, you will have some people saying things that are simply not true and making out that they're someone that they're not. 
Then on the other hand, you'll have some people that will never see the light that they've experienced because of their perspective as well. I'm not saying one is an optimist and one is a pessimist, but there is a difference in the way that we view life. And a relationship uh, with Christ for you is now, if I can put it bluntly, depending on your response. Christ has done all he has and all he needs to do. We, 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 we ended into this message singing Amazing Grace. God's grace is bigger than anything you've done, bigger than anything you will ever do. It's consistent, continual, and offered openly all the time. It doesn't matter where you've been, where you've gone, where, what, what you've done, what you've thought. God's grace is complete. It's endless. And it's an offer for you to enter a relationship with God if you're willing. Now, our willingness isn't measured by our voices or what we say. It's measured by what's contributed from our hearts. And while our intent or our voices might be able to say, God, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. The reality is this. Our hearts are not so quickly to follow. As a matter of fact, our hearts take time to change. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to start with an intent, yes, I'll follow you. But it takes time for our hearts to get to a place where we sincerely do. This is not a judgment because we're all on an individual, unique journey. We're all snowflakes, if I can put it that way. And I mean that seriously. You come down from heaven somehow, you last for a while, and then you die and return to Him. Hopefully we last longer than snowflakes. Some people act like snowflakes. But you know there's a God who loves you. He cares for you. He wants to begin a journey with you if you are willing. And some of you are saying, yeah, I've already begun the journey. No, the journey never ends. It's a journey that finds it, its completion at the end of your life. It's a journey that in the process of exchange, in the process of relationship, completes you, fulfills you. But in at the same time, makes you a blessing to others as well. You see, as I continue to journey, hopefully, as the Bible says, I'm changing from glory to glory. In other words, there is something about me that gets dropped off every step of the way and something else that rises up. Paul says in that same passage, he says, you know, we might be getting older on the outside, but on the inside, we're being renewed. We're becoming more like Christ. I implore you to build a deeper relationship with God. Don't spend your time getting smarter. Spend your time getting closer. There's nothing wrong with education. But it's not a substitute for relationship. 
It's not a substitute for connection. My deepest desire is for every single person in this room to know Christ intimately so that you could gain the benefit being in connection with the God of all creation, the God who has been there right throughout history, right throughout time. And so that your testimony might be one that holds deep meaning for you because of the connection that you've made with your Heavenly Father. Will you stand together with me this morning? The idea is that eventually our relationship with Christ becomes so moving that even when there are facts that seem to be against the reality of God, our personal relationship with Him burns through. Father, my prayer is today that we would simply sense Your presence. That all of what Jesus has done, and we've just celebrated it all through Easter, would become something profound and real for us. We know the facts, Lord. And the facts are that you love us completely, wholly. But the facts in and of themselves are not enough, Father. We want a relationship with you that burns through everything else. That touches us, changes us, transforms us. And has the power to change others through us. Because of the meaning that we experience in our connection with you. I pray today, Father, that you would move. That you would minister to each person standing here in this place. Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.